Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Welcome back to the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and today I'm joined in studio again by Joe Boot and Nathan O'Black. Good to have you with us, gents. Today we're going to be talking about Bill C-6. And for anyone who hasn't been paying attention, Bill C-6 is the identical verbiage uh, to what used to be called Bill C-8 that the Liberal government introduced into Parliament back in March. A couple of days later, uh, everything shut down, including, uh, including Parliament, and now they've, uh, they've opened it up again. And Bill C-6 is the conversion therapy bill, so-called. And I'm just going to read out the, the definition of conversion therapy, and we're going to talk about why it is that Christians should be thinking about and dealing with this bill. So conversion therapy... Uh, according to uh, to Bill C-6, here's the definition. It means a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual or gender identity to cisgender or to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. For greater certainty, this definition does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to a person's gender transition or to a person's exploration of their identity or to its development. So, Joe, the Ezra Institute exists to advance the truth, the freedom, and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Maybe start out today by explaining to our listeners why it is we're even talking about this bill. Well, I think that it would be immediately evident to people on hearing you read the bill or portion of the bill there and the definition of gender identity, uh, sorry, of conversion therapy. Um that uh, well first of all you know you need a phd in critical theory to understand it because it's using terms like cisgender and so forth to uh, describe what it's talking about and that means um straight away that you've got a bill here that's ideologically motivated that's informed by uh critical theory queer theory and uh, adopting terms like cisgender which is a reference to the binary norm of male and female for um, those of us who um, are still want to live in the real world. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the character of this piece of legislation, I believe, is seeking to strike, strike at the very heart of the idea of any sort of creational normativity and of the notion of conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that's why we have to emphasize this as being very much a gospel issue. I'm sure you are as wearied as I am, Ryan, at times by people saying that the, some of the things we talk about are not gospel issues, as though if you stray away from forgiveness of your uh, sin in, in, in Jesus and going to heaven, you've suddenly strayed away from the gospel. Um, this is at the very heart of the meaning and significance of the gospel. Here's a couple of very simple reasons why. Uh, you know, one of our fellows, Dr. Peter Jones, I think has probably talked about this more than anyone else and very 
succinctly and clearly helped identify uh, the significance of the male-female distinction and the centrality of marriage as what he calls the cosmological key to the universe, that we can't even begin to understand creation's relationship to God, distinction, transcendence, difference, uh, the covenantal relationships that God sustains with us, uh, and the nature of our relationship to God without the ideas of male and female and the marriage relationship. God is revealed to us as Father, who sends his Son. So there you have immediately, you got the idea of male, that Jesus was born a man. Uh, creation begins with, the, cre- with the, the creation of the male and the female, and then God performs the first marriage. So we have creational normativity established right there at the beginning, which is presupposed in the rest of Scripture, so that God goes on to describe his relationship to Israel as both that of a father and a husband. He can be both father and husband because he is both father and son. Uh, And uh, we see then, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, coming to us through the Holy Family. And uh, the, um, by the way, this was something that Karl Marx well understood uh, in his attempt to deconstruct um, a Christian social order. He said, if you want to destroy the Holy Family, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you must destroy the earthly family in theory and in practice. This is what's going on here. There's an attempt to utterly destroy creational normativity and marriage so that you can undermine the very idea of God's self-revelation. This is why this strikes at the heart of the gospel. Jesus comes to us. His first miracle is at the wedding of Canaan, putting God's stamp of approval uh, on marriage. Paul then talks about our relationship to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ as the relationship between a bride and groom, the church being the bride of Christ, and history wraps up in the marriage supper of the Lamb. So history begins and ends with a wedding. So any notion that we are sort of outside the territory here of the centrality of the gospel is blinkered and utterly foolish. This, is, this strikes at the very heart of the gospel and the idea, let's add, of conversion, of transformation, of you coming, being called back to a normative understanding of your humanity in terms of creation and in terms of your relationship with God. So this, is a, this, this bill is about banning creational normativity and promoting, with the force of government, anti-normative in fact, sinful and destructive relationships. This is fundamentally what this is about. So in the end, you're talking about really banning, being washed, transformed, sanctified in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll prove that to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, beginning in verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And there's a very important statement. Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And such of of you, and some of you used to be like this, or some translations say, and such were some of you. 
Some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here you've got Paul writing to a Gentile church community in Corinth. Paganism, pagan sexuality was all around them. Pederastic and homosexual relationships were common, even um, uh, uh, encouraged in uh, certain stratas of society in the Roman Empire. During the time of the apostles, Nero was married to two men. Um, one he related to as a catamite, the other as a sodomite. So one as, uh, as a woman, one as, as a man. And Paul is writing into this kind of a context to people who are involved in all these kinds of different sexual practices. And he says, and such, you were like this. This is how you used to live, but you've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been washed. You've come to Christ. You've repented. You've converted. You've left that lifestyle and you've now, uh, you're now in the kingdom of God. And so Paul is clear that if you persist in practicing uh, these lifestyles in an unrepentant way, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. So this is a bill that's essentially in Canada saying, if you do what Paul is saying, uh, if you provide uh, any kind of practice, guidance, counsel that would lead you in the direction of what Paul is saying in terms of the gospel, you're a criminal. But if you encourage all of the practices that Paul says keep you out of the kingdom of God, then you have the support and the blessing of the Canadian government. So let's just be crystal clear that this is absolutely a gospel issue. And. Joe, all of that to say, uh, if our listeners are wondering why this is important to the Christian, go back to creation, go back to Genesis 1 and keep reading. And with these truths uh, fresh in our mind, uh, I just wanted to take us back into the specifics of the bill. And there are five criminal charges that uh, are proposed to come down uh, through this bill. So I'd just like to share them uh, with our audience. Uh, so number one, causing a minor to undergo conversion therapy. Number two, removing a minor from Canada to undergo conversion therapy. Number three, causing anyone to undergo conversion therapy against their will. Number four, profiting from providing conversion therapy. And number five, advertising the provision of conversion therapy. And I also just wanted to read something that uh, David Lametti had said uh, during the parliamentary session where this bill was reintroduced. And David Lametti, he's our Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada, and I quote, Conversion therapy is a cruel practice that can lead to lifelong trauma, particularly for young people. Our government remains steadfast in our commitment to protecting the dignity and equality rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and two-spirit Canadians by criminalizing a practice that discriminates against and harms them. So we can see with this bill being reintroduced, the government's being very clear uh, what implications they would like to see as a result of it being brought back on the table. Mm -hmm. Well, this is clearly the most ideological bill, I think, that's uh, outside of um, or alongside of the, attempt, the redefinition of marriage, in inverted commas, um, that there's ever been in Canada. Uh, in the preamble to the bill, Nathan, it actually says conversion therapy is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation and gender identity, including the myth 
that a person's sexual orientation and gender identity can and ought to be changed. So what the so-called justice minister uh, is talking about fundamentally, uh, let me let me just quote to you the words of, of um, Minister David Lametti again uh, uh, elsewhere. He says this, and I quote, conversion therapy is premised on a lie that being homosexual, lesbian, bisexual, or trans is wrong and in need of fixing. Not only is that false, it sends a demeaning and degrading message that undermines the dignity of individuals. So let's be just crystal clear about this. The Justice Minister of Canada is saying that the Bible's teaching is a myth. It's based on stereotypes. Jesus Christ's call to repentance from sin is a lie. The Bible's call, the church's call, in terms of scripture for people to repent of sexual sin, is a lie, a damaging lie. That's what's being laid out here. And the criminal penalties that uh, are proposed here are not just those that uh, will uh, affect professional healthcare um, practitioners. These are targeted at actually at parents and pastors, uh, uh, Christian counsellors, uh, anyone who is going to seek to uh, help those who are struggling, as many young people do. I mean, this is not this is nothing new. Uh, the right back as the the, the, the uh, it was it wasn't until the early seventies that uh, homosexuality uh, was taken out of the DSM as a psychological disorder that was treatable. Right now, we of course as Christians could have long debates about what do we mean by a psychological disorder and so on and so forth. Let's not wander into that territory. But the point is, is that it was politics, not medicine, uh, that is driving this agenda of that we saw as far back as 2005, gay marriage, so-called marriage, and now um, this Bill C-6 seeking to bring the force of criminal law to bear on those who still seek to affirm creational normativity. And notice that this ban about change only goes one way. So it's absolutely fine for... um, I think in the way that you read it, Ryan, was very clear that this doesn't apply to those transitioning to the opposite sex, or and, and of course that in itself is fictive. There is no transitioning in in reality to another sex, but the, who is going through hormone treatments or sex change surgery or whatever, that's to be affirmed. That's fine. What what cannot be tolerated is the notion that there would be any call, any care, any practice, any treatment that would help somebody um, affirm creational norms of male and female, biological norms of male and female, and the normative heterosexual relationship that the human body, the male and the female anatomy, and thousands of years of human culture has affirmed as being normative, male and female. In fact, if you were... I think it was the philosopher Kant who said, act only on that maxim that you could wish to be a universal law... Well, if it had been universal law that uh, actually you can only affirm this direction that this bill is proposing, the human race wouldn't even exist. That's how anti-normative it is. Um, and yet it's incredible that we find ourselves right now in a, in, a, in a battle, and quite frankly, Ryan, Nathan, in let, short of a miracle, because this thing has the support of the NDP and the bloc and the liberals, maybe there's a chance to get some minor changes in wording. This is going into law in this country. 
When is the church going to wake up to the fact that God's word is being criminalized? I never, I never expected to see the day where uh, you would favorably quote Kant, but here we are. <laughs> Life is funny. <laughs> uh, one of the uh, one of the things, in in my opinion, is that's particularly insidious about this bill, Nathan. I think you read the first the first two, if I'm not mistaken, of those five uh, criminalizations have to do specifically with minors. And uh, this it's interesting, and I'm, again, I'm going back to something else that uh, Minister Lametti said uh, in a CTV interview. He says that what we're trying to do is create an architecture where the young person is comfortable saying, no, you can't do this. We've had this conversation. Stop. Done. This is the way I am. That's the, uh, that's the scenario where that uh, Minister Lametti wants, uh, wants to put young people in. And the thing that, uh, that I immediately think of is I've, I've got young children. You've got uh, teenage children, Joe, but... We haven't, uh, as societies throughout history for a long time, there's a lot that we don't trust teenagers to do, that we restrict teenagers from doing. And, uh, you know, driving or using uh, alcohol or tobacco or other things like that, or even in working in, in certain jobs, teenagers can't do these things. We stop them from doing this as a society because we all recognize that there's a level of maturity, there's a level of cognitive and physical development that's required uh, to responsibly and uh, capably get into this, uh, uh, whatever activity this is. Before you can take that sole responsibility for your own actions and choices, you need to have a level of experience that you can only gain over time. And we th- somebody thinks now that this is a good idea while teenagers have got raging hormones while they're feeling acute social pressures like uh, they've never had bef- have before that they haven't learned to deal with yet they're going to make definitive choices about this uh, this critical area of identity and sexuality yes it's plainly ridiculous and when you put it in those terms uh if we can't trust uh children with cigarettes can we really trust them with making decisions about hormone blockers and permanently altering their bodies Uh, this is why the british parliament has actually uh, moved to make it illegal for minors to undergo these kinds of treatments precisely for that reason canada seems to be moving in the opposite direction of any sort of common sense uh, even from uh, outside of a distinctly Christian perspective, the, the idea that it could be on minors to make this kind of decision. And when you say that the, you know, the, the, this is about the, the, the child saying, stop, no, we've had this discussion, you can see how this is targeted at parents. This bill would criminalize, now hear this, it would criminalize parents who, in a discussion with their confused child, frequently confused by the public schools, I might add, with their radical teaching and their radical uh, queer ideology that's been being being railroaded into the curriculums through most of Canada. What would you expect if you teach um, uh, pubescent and even prepubescent uh, children these things, that, you, that actually confusion would be introduced 
and all kinds of experimenting would then uh, take place. And this bill would criminalise parents who then seek to reinforce with their child their natal gender or normative human sexual desire and practice. To do that and to seek treatment for it would then criminalise those parents carrying, I believe, a penalty of up to five years in prison. It's not just profession, healthcare professionals. That's bad enough. It would be pastors, counsellors and parents themselves. And any hollow assurances from government about, oh, those aren't really the people that know. This is precisely what it's about. In fact, Andre Schutten, who's a fellow of the Ezra Institute, and uh, he's the director of law and policy for um, ARPA, and he's a general legal counsel for ARPA Canada. He's actually warned, he said that this bill, and I quote, if passed as written would make it a criminal offence to help a person struggling with their sexual orientation or sexual thoughts or behaviour, or gender identity, so there he means a, um, a same-sex attracted Christian or sexual thoughts or behavior like watching gay porn, he says, or um, believing that they're a male trapped inside a female body. He says, uh, going on to bring their thoughts, words, and deeds into conformity with the, with the word of God. But the pastor or counselor would be free to encourage a man to explore same-sex desires or experiment with same-sex behavior. Similarly, encouraging a teen girl to love and appreciate and care for the female body God designed and paired with her soul would be a criminal act. But the opposite, encouraging or experimenting with change from cisgender to genderqueer, non-binary, transgender, which is where you need the PhD in gender theory, is permitted. End quote. So this is how um, uh, serious uh, this really is. And the notion that you can trust children with these kinds of decisions, let alone an adult, is clearly preposterous. It's, it's, it's insane. And yet this is what our uh, government is actually talking about. I think at this point uh, of our show, some of our listeners might be thinking, you know, this is, uh, this is a proposed bill. This is not yet law. There must be some opposition to what's being brought forward. And I wanted to give us a little bit of clarity as to where that is. So I'm going to read a quote from Aaron O'Toole, who is our conservative leader right now. He is our opposition leader. Quote, Let me be perfectly clear. Conversion therapy is wrong, and in my view, it should be banned. I want to use my time to talk for a moment to the LGBTQ community. Some of you grew up in a home that didn't understand or support you. Many of you experienced persecution at school, at work, out in public, at a restaurant, on a date, for too many Canadians, that persecution may have even involved conversion therapy. To be forced to change who you are is not okay. That's something I hope no Canadian ever endures again. If that is the intent of the bill, it needs to be written that way. I mean, we can see in this quote, this is antithetical to the gospel message. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, quite staggering that um, that is the conservative representation for our country. I mean, you know, if th that that is the, the the leader of the opposition, and there's a, almost an unequivocal support, apart from a, a few um, caveats thrown in to possibly appease the the, the social conservatives in the uh, in, w within the party. Um, again, the 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 concern for us as Christians, of course, is that uh, Christ's call to repentance and the gospel's call to repentance isn't coerced. 
we are actually called to repent. Indeed, we're commanded to repent by God. But um, if it were if it were the fact that God coerced this, uh, the Holy Spirit coerced this in some way on the world, then we wouldn't have any problems, would we? Because the whole world would be Christian. Uh, so the reality is these people know full well that the Christian teaching, the Christian message, Christian pastoral care is voluntary. The church is a voluntary membership institution in the sense that, uh, of course, the Holy Spirit calls you and, and brings you into the invisible body of Christ. Of course, we're not, we won't stray into a theological discussion about that. But in terms of the institutional life of the church, people can join the church and they can leave the church. They can ask their pastor for help. They don't need, or they may not wish to ask their pastor for help. But this notion, the way this is being all set up, is that though there is this nefarious, evil group of people out there who want to grab hold of people struggling with same-sex desire or their, or their identity and then coerce them and force them, strap them down into a chair and, and re, uh, reorder their thinking, is a myth. That's the only myth being propagated through all of this, is that there is such a, a goal or desire. And in the process... Uh, what's happening is that, and this is where we need to call it for what it is, is this is a deliberate attempt to remove freedom of choice for the very people they claim to help. This is removing, that this bill is claiming to help. This is removing the possibility of somebody who is uh, struggling with their, um, wrestling with their gender uh, uh, identity. Let's let's uh, let's talk about gender dysphoria to use a more clinical term. They're they're struggling with that. They're struggling with some kind of gender dysphoria, or um, they may be going through all kinds of feelings of remorse or guilt or self hatred or whatever for their sexual practices. And now, what the government is saying is, you can't have remorse or regret uh, about those things. Uh, you, this behavior can only be reinforced if you're a minor. And if you're an adult, then nobody can advertise any kind of help for you. So you might well go and seek it out and find somebody who's willing to talk to you about these issues, um, but um, they can't let you know. And if they do try and let you know that they're able to talk to you, we're going to send them to prison or we're going to find them. We're going to send them to prison for up to five years. So all this is doing is actually, in the name of so-called choice and respecting diversity, is destroying choice and diversity of opinion. It's destroying the ability for there to be any public, meaningful public discourse on the issue, because as soon as these kinds of laws are introduced, the government knows full well what's going to happen. They're trying to create an environment in which people are terrified to speak about these things, terrified to talk about these things, terrified certainly to in any way offer help to anyone who comes to them about these things and to put parents into a situation where they feel that their children may be taken away or they themselves may be prosecuted if they try and affirm the natal gender of their own child or help them with feelings they may be struggling with that for, from time immemorial, teenagers have struggled with for a season. But we know from study after study after study that children, young people struggling with gender dysphoria, that that dysphoria is resolved by the time they're in their late teens or early 20s, that they're perfectly comfortable in the body in which they were born. And that for many, many people as well who are experimenting or confused about their sexual desires during adolescence, those resolve um, 
by the time they're again in their late teens or 20s. But there are a percentage of those people who go on to still struggle with that. And they don't want those feelings or desires and they want help. And what the government is effectively saying here is, no, you can't have that help. And in fact, we'll criminalize anybody who tries to advertise that to you or offer it to you. Yeah, I, was, I want to uh, stick on that theme maybe in a little bit of a different direction uh, for a little longer here, Joe. Something else that uh, Minister Lametti said, it's not, it's not in the bill, but he said this in the, in the article, that uh, this bill doesn't put an end to conversations that youth and individuals may have with supportive adults and professionals in their lives, assisting them in exploring their identity. These, ad- these discussions are often critical to personal development. And then he comes back and says, nor would the proposed offenses criminalize conversations where personal points of view on sexual orientation or gender are expressed. So two-parter two for, uh, <laughs> for the follow-up there. First of all, I don't, this is almost rhetorical, but how far have we, have, how far has this, our, our Overton window shifted that our justice minister feels the need to clarify that your private personal conversations are not going to be criminalized. Rest easy, everybody. Wow, what a relief. I mean, in terms of uh, changes, of course, though, to the criminal code in 2017 um, and the way in which uh, the we've got the hate speech codes that exist now, as well as the publishing, the, the, the propaganda codes that are current in Canada, I'm afraid that's a hollow assurance. Because as it stands, any kind of public speech that could subject somebody to um, uh, vilification or detestation, according to the law, already brings you under the uh, threat of criminal penalties with up to two years in prison. So uh, we're already laboring under these speech codes, which are terrifying people. I mean, you both know that I've already been in situations in Canada where churches have asked for my or my colleagues sermons and lectures up front before I even arrive because they want to scrutinize them for any speech that might be deemed hateful and and um, and bring the uh, the church uh, put the church at risk in some way so when um, frankly this man uh, uh, th- uh, tries to assure us that this doesn't um, penalize or criminalize our conversations I- I'd like to know at what point does when I sit down with somebody as a Christian pastor who starts to talk to me about struggles they've got with their sexual desires or their um, proclivities. At what point does a conversation become counsel, counseling? I mean, uh, at what point does a parent's conversation with their child uh, come in, uh, uh, infringe on this law when a parent takes their 12-year-old to see their pastor, for example? and says, let's have a chat with our pastor over dinner this evening. At what point are we now dealing with conversion therapy? And the the, the thing is, with these things, you can drive an absolute bus through them. And that's what makes them incredibly dangerous. Going back to what our fellow Andre Schutten, who who works with ARPA, has has warned in a letter to pastors in Canada. And as you know, uh, he's a lawyer. He studied this uh, bill very carefully. He says, and I quote, if this bill passes unamended, Aspects of your ministry, to youth in particular, in an age of sexual confusion, would be criminalized. Not only do you face fines and prison 
time, should you continue with biblically faithful counseling, it would be a very simple and logical next step to remove your church's charitable status. Why would the CRA give tax receipts to a criminal organization? Through all this, the gospel witness would be marginalized, preventing people from hearing and experiencing the joy and freedom found in Christ Jesus, end quote. So, as you say, it's a hollow assurance uh, to us uh, that somehow um, this doesn't isn't going to impact our informal conversations because, as with these hate speech laws and codes and so forth, it's always in the it's in the ear or eye of the person who's allegedly experiencing the counsel or the hatred that these things are interpreted. And so, at the very least, we're looking at a radical freeze on uh, any kind of uh, speech counsel teaching, uh, ministry that would seek to orient people to a creational normative structure. And that's what's so very, very dangerous about this bill. Hmm. And guys, I realize we've shared a lot of quotes so far in our show today, but I think it's really important that our audience knows what has been said, especially what's been said during the parliamentary sessions. Uh, here's a quote from Bardish Chagger, who is the Minister of Diversity and Inclusion and Youth. And again, this is said during the parliamentary session that introduced, reintroduced this bill. And I Sorry, quote, we have a minister for what? Maybe? Can you clarify that? Uh, okay, sure. I'll, I'll read that again for us. So it's Bardish Chagger, the Minister of Diversity and Inclusion and Youth. Yeah. I'm sure the founders of Confederation didn't have in mind a minister of diversity, but let's, uh, let's hear what they've got to say. Go ahead, Nathan. Quote, conversion therapy practices are rooted in the wrongful premise that sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression can and should be changed to fit an ideal of what some people believe is normal or natural. By reintroducing this legislation, our government is standing up for LGBTQ2 people and reaffirming our commitment to ensuring Canada is a place where everyone is free to be their authentic selves. In other words, free to be sinners, free to stay in their sin and making it illegal to approach these people with the freeing message of the gospel of Christ. Right. No, and that's absolutely, that's, that's, a, that's such an important uh, citation because, it, again, it helps people to understand, it helps us all to understand the motivation behind this. What the government is saying ideologically, what the government is ideologically preaching in this law, and don't forget, and it's important for for uh, all of us to remember that all law presupposes a source of authority and sovereignty, and law is a teaching device. Right? So, law by uh, a law, if it's just a piece of advice, is not a law. A law comes with sanctions, and uh, this law coming with sanctions of up to five years in prison is the government teaching everybody that it is wrong for you to suggest or think or believe that any kind of sexual practice is wrong or that the fictive goodness knows how many gender identities that the government is now on and that various um, theorists, queer theorists and critical theorists have made up for human society, that it is actually wrong to uh, uh, believe otherwise. Right, so even though then the, the the bill does not say you'll be criminalized for believing that there is a normative structure to creation, the law itself is teaching people that it's punishable 
to do this, to practice anything that would seek to move people back to that, how would it therefore be good or of benefit or, or, or right to believe anything different? So you see how this is actually about belief because you're criminalizing practice. The idea that you can radically separate belief and practice we know is nonsense, right? Um, this is effectively saying, believe what you want in your head, you Christians, but woe betide you if you actually practice it. Uh, if you want a conversation in a private room about what you believe in your head, that's okay. But don't, for now, but don't practice it. So law is always a teaching device as well. This isn't just about the court finding you potentially guilty. This is about what, how law functions in a society to teach values and reinforce fundamentally a religious vision of reality, a world and life view. This is an ideological law. It's reinforcing a world and life view, and it's teaching people via these sanctions attached to this uh, 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 proposition in, in, in this law. It's teaching people that really to believe these things and certainly to practice anything in conformity with Christian belief is wrong. It's destructive, right? And, and uh, that's why what goes on in the law, it's so important for us to remember. It's so important for us to recognize that this isn't just, oh, well, it doesn't matter so much. That's just criminal law. No, this is what is being now effectively taught by our ideological government. This is the worldview that's being taught, and now they're reinforcing the teaching in the criminal code. We're pretty much out of time for this session. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Um, before we go, Joe, maybe you have a, a word of advice, a word of exhortation for pastors, Christian counselors, parents, anyone who's going to be affected by, by this legislation. How do, we, how do we prepare ourselves? How do we respond? What do we, uh, what do, we do in, the, uh, in the short term? Well, that's a good question to end with, Ryan. I think the first thing we have to do very quickly, let's just, just say three things. First of all, we have to preach about this stuff. We have to bring back into the pulpit preaching and teaching that reinforces the creational norms of Scripture, male and female, human identity, human sexuality is a gospel issue. We cannot skirt over these issues and, and say politics doesn't belong in the pulpit. So many things have been politicized that there's nothing left to preach about unless we preach the truth of God's word in its fullness. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. They are uh, steadily, the secular culture, as the Institute has been saying for many, many years, is steadily trying to erode Christian freedoms, and it will not stay out of the church. It, it will affect our speech, our teaching. Therefore, the answer, the first response to this is to give the Word of God free reign in the churches, in the pulpit, that we must preach faithfully the Word of God, and we must tell people. I mean, what percentage of Christians are even aware of Bill C-6, Ryan? It's tiny, that, or Bill C-8. How many would even be aware of this bill? So the second thing we have to do is raise awareness of it as leaders, as Christians in our community, raise awareness of the bill. The third thing we have to do is take action. And right now, it's the 11th hour, as usual for Christians, on the back foot. And, you know, everybody's been focused on COVID. And while all that focus is on the distraction of COVID and everything else, in comes immediately, first thing, as soon as Parliament's back, let's get this bill passed and through. Christians are unaware. So we raise that awareness. It's the 11th hour, but we need to write to our MPs. We need to speak to our MPPs. We need to talk to uh, people in places of influence and authority to say this has to be stopped. Where's the medical community? Where's the legal community? Um, 
as an institute, of course, we're in touch with politicians and lawyers working in this area, and we're trying to encourage them and strengthen their hands and inform people. But that's the responsibility of all of us. We can write to our own MPPs. We can express our concern about this. Um, and then we have to start thinking longer term, Ryan, as well, to add a fourth thing, and that is um, we need to start making some very realistic decisions about the future, the long-term future in our nation. What does that mean for our children's education? Where are we? Where are our children being educated? Uh, if um, if our children are in the uh, government schools and they are learning this curriculum, um, this uh, radicalized curriculum, we can expect them in their in their uh, tea, early teens to start expressing their own personal confusion, and then we fall off, Then we get caught on the horns of these kinds of laws. Um, so we need to be thinking about that and we need to be strategizing um, as Christians about what it means to help people, um, desperate people, lost people, as, as Nathan pointed out, sinners who need the gospel. All these people trapped in destructive behavior, trapped in sexual tr sin, trapped in pornography addictions to homosexual uh, gay porn, whatever it might be, uh, every kind of pornography, trapped in whatever they may be trapped in. How are we going to share the gospel with them increasingly and help them in a context where the help that we want to offer them may be criminalized? We need to start thinking about strategies for doing that where those very things may in fact uh, bring us under the ire of the Canadian Criminal Code. All right. Sobering words, but uh, that's, uh, we've, got, we've got our, uh, our action plan there. And pray. And pray. We're a prayerless yeah. culture. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, Nathan... Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you for listening. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Please join us again next week for Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy Every year about this time